Welcome back to The War That Shaped the World. I'm your host, Brent, and in today's episode, we're focusing on the lead up to the commencement of hostilities in September 1939. This period from the signing of the Treaty of Versailles through to the invasion of Poland is a very complex story and one worthy of its very own podcast series. However, as we are heroically attempting to cover this in a couple of episodes, we make the apology up front that we will have to skate over some of the details in order to keep to time. Do treat this episode as a taster and search out some more detailed content from amongst the skilled and knowledgeable historians that work across this fascinating period in world history. Also, we are keen to hear suggestions from listeners about any topics you would like us to dive further into. There is a general acceptance that the peace treaty to bring an end to the First World War, the Treaty of Versailles, laid the groundwork for the conflict that became the Second World War. Indeed, Marshal Foch, the Supreme Allied Commander, was quoted as saying that in bringing this conflict to an end on the terms we have, this is not peace, it is an armistice for 20 years. While we could spend many a podcast hour talking about the social, economic and political circumstances that led to the Second World War, there is one man and a party whose ideologies and actions would plunge the world into the most destructive conflict in human history, Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party. Adolf Hitler, born in Austria in 1889, moved to Munich, Germany in 1913. During the First World War, he served in the German army and was awarded two Iron Crosses for bravery. However, Germany's defeat in the war deeply embittered him. The Treaty of Versailles, which ended the war and imposed heavy penalties on Germany, fueled resentment and provided fertile ground for extremist political movements, including the one Hitler would eventually lead. Hitler joined the German Workers' Party in 1919, a small political group that held nationalistic and anti-Semitic beliefs. Originally joining for the purpose of providing intelligence to the army, Hitler realized he had a knack for persuasive oratory and began to rise within the party's ranks. After being discharged from the army in 1920, Hitler began working for the party full-time. In 1920, the group was renamed the National Socialist German Workers' Party, or Nazi Party for short, and adopted the swastika as its emblem. Hitler became party leader with absolute power as party chairman in July 1921. In 1923, Hitler and the Nazis attempted a coup known as the Beer Hall Putsch in Munich, aiming to overthrow the German Weimar government. The coup was a spectacular failure resulting in the arrest of most of the conspirators, including Hitler. Some escaped abroad, Goering being the most well-known. Hitler and many of his co-conspirators were put on trial for high treason, the trail itself was used by Hitler as a platform to spread his ideas by giving speeches to the courtroom. The trial itself was extensively covered in the media of the day. While Hitler's oratory was not successful in gaining him an acquittal, he was sentenced to a prison term of five years fortress confinement and a financial fine of 500 Reichsmarks. It was during his time in prison where he developed his manifesto Mein Kampf or My Struggle. This book outlined Hitler's extreme ideologies, including his belief in racial purity, his hatred for communism and democracy, and his territorial ambitions for Germany. Hitler was released from prison in December 1924, after serving less than a year. The Nazi party, initially weakened by the failed coup, began to rebuild and gain popularity, particularly as the Great Depression hit Germany hard in the late 1920s and early 1930s. In the July 1932 elections, the Nazi party won the most seats in the German parliament, 
and in January 1933, Hitler was appointed Chancellor of Germany by President Paul von Hindenburg. This marked the beginning of the Nazi era as Hitler and his allies swiftly dismantled Germany's democratic institutions and established a totalitarian state known as the Third Reich. Hitler's regime implemented policies of aggressive militarization, territorial expansion, and racial cleansing, leading to the persecution of Jews, communists, Romani people, and others. These policies combined with Hitler's ambition to overturn the Treaty of Versailles and restore Germany to its rightful place as a leading European power laid the groundwork for the outbreak of the Second World War. Three key territorial land grabs, for want of a better term, are the events that set the scene for the total war that erupted in September 1939. The first of these was the remilitarization of the Rhineland. Let's set the scene. The Rhineland, a region in Western Germany bordering France, Luxembourg and Belgium, was demilitarized by the Treaty of Versailles after World War I. The purpose was to provide a buffer zone between Germany and France and to limit Germany's ability to wage war in the future. The Rhineland is a region steeped in history and culture, a place where Roman ruins meet Gothic cathedrals and sweeping vineyards. Its strategic location and rich coal and steel resources made it a significant economic hub. The occupation and demilitarization had profound impacts on the Rhineland. The German population generally resented the foreign occupation, viewing it as a national humiliation and an affront to their sovereignty. This sentiment grew more potent during the hyperinflation crisis in the early 1920s when French and Belgian troops responded to Germany's inability to make reparations payments by occupying the Ruhr, the industrial heartland of Germany, which lay within the Rhineland. Despite the political and economic tensions, life in the Rhineland had a semblance of normalcy. In the cities, people went about their daily routines, engaging in trade, working in offices and factories, or tending to the vineyards along the Rhine. The cultural life, too, flourished. Cities like Cologne and Dusseldorf were vibrant centers of arts, music, and intellectual discourse. However, beneath the veneer of normalcy, the Rhineland was a region in flux. The resentment towards the Treaty of Versailles and the foreign occupation, coupled with the economic hardships of the Great Depression, created a fertile ground for extremist ideologies. The Nazi Party, with its strong nationalistic and anti-Versailles rhetoric, began to gain traction in the region. Despite the Rhineland's status as a demilitarized zone, on March 26, 1936, Hitler ordered the German army to march into the region. This was a clear violation of the Treaty of Versailles and the Locarno Pact of 1925, which Germany had willingly signed, and which reaffirmed the inviolability of the Rhineland's demilitarized status. So why did Hitler take this risk? There were several motivating factors. First, Hitler was keen to overturn the terms of the Treaty of Versailles, which he and many Germans viewed as unjust. He also wanted to protect Germany's industrial heartland in the Ruhr from a possible French invasion. But perhaps most importantly, Hitler wanted to test the reactions of France, Britain and the League of Nations to his aggressive policies. Now let's look at the response, or lack thereof, from France and Britain. You might ask, why didn't they respond with force to expel the German troops? Several factors played into their decision. For France, despite having a significantly larger and better equipped military than Germany in 1936, there were both political and psychological constraints. The French government was hesitant to act without British support, 
and there was a widespread reluctance among the French population to engage in another war with Germany. Additionally, the Maginot Line, France's primary line of defence against a German attack, did not extend to cover the Franco-German border along the Rhineland, making a military response more complicated. As for Britain, public opinion was largely against going to war over the Rhineland, which many Britons saw as a German matter. There was also a significant sentiment in Britain that the Treaty of Versailles had been overly harsh on Germany, and a degree of revision was not unwarranted. Furthermore, Britain was militarily unprepared for a major war in 1936. In the end, the remilitarization of the Rhineland was a diplomatic victory for Hitler. The lack of response from France, Britain and the League of Nations emboldened him to pursue his expansionist policies more aggressively. The scene was set for his next moves, the Anschluss with Austria, the annexation of the Sudetenland and the eventual occupation of Czechoslovakia. Thank you for joining us today as we explored the rise of Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party and the reoccupation of the Rhineland. Join us next time as we delve further into events leading up to the invasion of Poland. Be sure to subscribe to The War That Shaped the World on your favorite podcast platform to stay updated on future episodes. 